Good morning, church. It is good to, to see you all this morning, um, this Father's Day. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And happy Father's Day to the rest of, of you all. And um, in the first service, uh, Matt Nix forgot it was Father's Day. Someone's like, happy Father's Day. He's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> he has babies, so that makes sense. You're so exhausted being a father, you forget things like Father's Day. But um, you know what? I have been blessed, really blessed um, uh, to have, uh, to grow up with a father that I had. Um, and uh, he's here this morning, Vince Ortiz. Give him a hand. Uh, I love you, Dad. Thank you very much. And uh, I've learned uh, so much uh, from, from him. And, uh, you know, you, you can only hope that you can pass on the good things to your children. Um, so uh, I've been uh, blessed uh, to be a dad, to be a father. And, um, you know, I'm also very aware that sometimes on days like Father's Day, it can stir up a lot of, a lot of pain. Um, and we're not uh, insensitive uh, to that. And our prayers are, are, are with you. And um, if that happens to be uh, you today, uh, please see us uh, afterwards. Uh, we have people uh, meeting at the cross for all kinds of different reasons as far as prayer goes, and we'd love to, to pray with you. Um, this morning is our final sermon in our, uh, our series called Forged by, by Grace. Um, one of the things that we've been talking about is uh, what does this idea of the church look like in real life, right? Because, you know, there are a lot of people for legitimate reasons or illegitimate reasons have a hard time with the church. And, and Jesus has a lot to say about what the church is called to be. And we, as a church, uh, we, to keep it real simple, we want to make sure that we're loving God, that we're loving each other, and that we're loving our neighbors, and full disclosure, just being totally honest, we are weakest, unfortunately, we are weakest um, when it comes to loving our neighbors, and that needs to change. And so we go to the scriptures, and we say, how can that happen? And if it did, what would that look like? And so we figured it would be good to focus on that. So what we have seen throughout this series is that God's called us to be a preview of God's kingdom of, of grace. And the truth is, is that Jesus never called the, the church to be just a bunch of independent individuals. And, and here's the thing that's so difficult. We, the church, is still immersed in American culture, a culture that idolizes individualism. It is individualism it is like the country's main religion. Jesus and the biblical writers saw, they, they described the church as a family. They, they described the church as a body. They, they described the church as a, as a new city, as a, as a temple made of living stones that were fitted together to be a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit and to experience the Holy Spirit's power. The scriptures uh, describe the church as a vineyard, describes the church as a flock. And so here's what they're getting at. You want to draw out the implications to that for, for your life? Here's what it means. It means that you commit, when you commit to Christ, you are also committing to this messy thing called church. You cannot separate your commitment to Jesus 
to commitment to your church. Because Christianity can only be lived out in community with a radical new set of values that are upside down from the rest of the world. We are called, as Paul tells us, to be, to offer our bodies, plural, as a living sacrifice, singular. We will only become a church that, that loves our neighbors if we get that and if we're working together and if we're united in that, Right? And the passage that, that the Beckus read uh, this morning shows us a picture of this, this early church freshly filled with the, the Holy Spirit living as the people of God in crucial community. It's absolutely fascinating when you read about the church through the book of Acts. And what we see, we wanna, what we want to see is kind of uh, what that might look like today by seeing what it looked like back then. What does it look like? Well, even in just the short passage that we have here, we see four characteristics. And first, in a word, if you're taking notes, in a word, they were caring, okay? It says in verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their positions, uh, excuse me, possessions, and they were selling their belongings, and they were distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That sounds a little crazy, doesn't it? It sounds like a good idea, but that's not for us today, right? Now, it says that they held all things in common. So obviously, the Bible is promoting communism, right? They had all things in common. And therefore, all of these guys here must be saints, right? Same root word, community, commune, communism, it's biblical. Nope. There's a radical difference between that and what we see here in the early church. In communism, you have state ownership of property. In Christianity, you have private ownership of property. But the early church, they were just voluntarily, earnestly, radically generous. It didn't have to be imposed upon the life of the church. It was this spontaneous response flowing out of the life of community. Christianity says, what's mine is yours, and I could not be more blessed or more eager or more encouraged, more happy to share it with anybody in need. That is a changed people. And that is totally different than the rest of the world. In the world, you are on your own. This didn't have to be imposed upon them. It was spontaneous. I mean, they were encouraged to do it. And, and you know what? Uh, what's interesting to me is I was studying this, I found out that that phrase, everything in common, is actually not a, a, a biblical phrase. It is actually a political phrase. It was actually a phrase used in, in Greek political theory. Plato, he viewed that private property was the root of all evil. And so he argued that to rid society of evil, all things by law should be held in common. And so he was invited to implement that worldview, that theory, in the ancient city of Syracuse, and it, and it failed miserably. And so when Luke says the early church had everything in common. He is saying that what you tried to do and failed at is actually working here in Jerusalem. 
on a much more profound level than you could ever imagine. What, what earthly effort could not do, God's Spirit has done and is doing. Only God can change a heart of a people like that. And as needs arose in their congregations, they sold their stuff in order to be able to provide people in need. They gave so sacrificially that later Luke writes this about them. He says that there was not a needy, not a needy person among them. That blows my mind. Neediness among the people vanished. It was gone. You know what? That was definitely a powerful statement among um, the original readers of, of this passage. And what was, that was a powerful testimony to the people in that day. I am telling you right now, it's a powerful statement to our neighbors when they see a church that cares for each other as opposed to you're on your own. Good luck with that. As we seek to be a church that blesses our neighbors, our neighborhoods, our, our city, God will, if we pray for that, here's how God's gonna answer that prayer. He will bring brothers and sisters in need to us, right? If we are a crucial Christian community, giving will flow from the life of community as we invite them in. And then not only will we be caring, uh, we will live open lives. Okay, let me, explain, let me explain what I mean. It says in verse 46, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Your translation might say with sincere hearts, meaning open lives and the masks are off, no hidden agendas, nothing to hide. That sounds a little too good to be true, right? That's too risky. Because in our world, superficiality is designed to, to hide our hurts and to hide our failures, to protect us from, from being ripped off or crushed by other people taken advantage of, or from getting too involved with the brokenness in our world. On the other, on the other hand, it, it, it can be just gratuitous tabloid tell-all and a sad attempt to get attention. But Christian community is different, right? It is, it is marked by, by open Christians who are lovingly honest and transparent, where, where there's, there's not a need, you, you don't feel this need to cover up, no, you, you don't feel this need to attract a, a attention, and so uh, they graciously and gently speak the truth in love and, and relationships quickly become deep and, and strong. You know what this means? You know what this means? This means that we as a church, we become unshockable, right? Uh, our culture loves shock. That's why like teen, like. Oh, that's why TMZ is so popular. Can you believe this person did that? And we got video of it. Check it out. And everybody goes, oh my goodness, can you believe they did that? And, and they just, they feed on that stuff in, a, in our culture. God calls us to be unshockable. 
meaning that other people, no matter where they are in their life, no matter what kind of past they have or what they're in the middle of right now, they can be open with you knowing that you won't use it against them. God gave all of us a desire to know and be known, to love and be loved. But this world, they will use it against you. Christ wants his church to be a community where people can come in weak and broken and then experience the strength they're looking for. Because there's something different here. And let me, let me, let me tell you something. If you're sitting there thinking, oh man, I wish we could feel like that at our church. Or, or I'm not feeling that here uh, lately or today or whatever. Here's what I believe. I believe that if you're not feeling that here, God is calling you to be that here. All right? Be that for others. Live open lives together. It's critical to crucial community. And then we see that these people were filled with joy. They were joyful, breaking bread together, it says, and in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Not, not just sincere hearts, but glad hearts. And, and you read the book of Acts, and as you go through the book of Acts, you see just constantly throughout it all, people filled with gladness, people filled with joy, people who are rejoicing. You know what? These were people who were going through hard times, and it wasn't just a, a grin and bear it type of deal. It wasn't a, oh, my, you know, we're being tortured, but praise God anyway. It wasn't that kind of a deal. We see, when we read the book of Acts, that these people were in desperate need. These people, I mean... <laughs> A job, what's a job? They were in poverty. They were unable to put food on the table. They lived in a hostile environment. And because of their, their faith, some people were beaten, some were locked up, and some were put to death. But yet they were still filled with joy. They had an indestructible joy. We saw last week, Paul and Silas, right? We talked about how Badly they were beaten. They were beaten like Rodney King was beaten. Remember that footage? Can you imagine living through that and then not being able to go to the hospital after that, but you get locked up in prison and then you're, you're, you're put in stocks designed to be a, a, a device, a torture device, where they stretch your legs out as far as they can and then lock them in place. And what are they doing? In the middle of the night, broken bones, broken face, and in so much pain, they're singing praises to God. That is, that is crazy. They weren't just singing. It wasn't just a you know, positive attitude, turn that frown upside down. They were not singing, let the sun shine in, face it with a grin. Smilers never lose, frowners never win. They weren't singing stuff like, there's no power in that. It wasn't just a think positively kind of a, kind of a deal. They sing songs like we sing here on Sunday mornings. Songs about grace, songs about God's truth, songs about God's love and, and his promises and him fulfilling those promises at great cost to himself because he loves us so much. That is an uncrushable joy. 
And that word here translated glad is a rich background in the Old Testament. It refers to the joy of knowing God's salvation. Knowing that the ultimate issues in life had been settled. Their sins were forgiven. Their heavenly Father was in control. And one day, all things will be set, set right. Therefore, they are filled with joy in the Lord. They are filled with the joy of the Lord. Because his spirit had come to them. Jesus is with them. And it all comes down to that. Jesus is with them. That is in a very real way. And they experienced that. And next we see that they were, they were growing. They were carrying the open lives joyful. They were growing. It says, verse 47, praising God, having favor with all all the people, and the Lord added to the numbers day by day those who were being saved. This Christian community started with 120, and then chapter 2, 3,000 people, chapter 4, 5,000 people, moving on to multitudes upon multitudes being added in chapter 5 to the point that had a radical impact on the entire Roman Empire. Now, is that because the church had a really awesome church staff? Is that because they had a, a you know, really compelling uh, vision with PowerPoint? Is, is it because they had really good evangelism seminars? Is, is that why it grew like that? That's not, that's not why. There's nothing like that uh, in there. The, these were people who were just blown away by Jesus and the salvation that God gives to them and his presence through the Holy Spirit. And the people would spread the word because their lives had been so impacted by that. The whole community was spreading the word. This, this historian, this church historian said this, that the primary change agents in the spread of faith were the men and women who earned their livelihood in some purely secular manner and spoke of their faith to those whom they met in this natural fashion. That's how they grew. It happened through the people. They could not help but talk about God's grace in, in their life. This is crucial in Christian community. Caring, open lives, joyful, and, and growing because of the salvation of God. But now, as we look at these characteristics, we have to ask, we got to dig a little deeper on the why behind that. Why? Why did this community look like this? In verse 43, it says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now, it, you would think at first glance, that they were filled with awe because of these amazing miracles, right? But it's not the miracles. The miracles pointed to something else. The miracles pointed to something more important, something more awe-inspiring. They were filled with awe because the risen Christ was with them and they knew it. That is what filled them with awe. Jesus was crucified, dead, buried, rose again, and is now with them by his spirit. This was an awe that was so awesome that it set them free from fear. 
This awe is what empowers you to live a courageous life in the face of hard times and in a broken world. And this awe is what empowered the early church to just flip the world upside down. And why are they filled with awe? One reason. Jesus was with them and they knew it. They knew it. Jesus was with them and they knew it. Their Savior is alive. And so now they are absolutely free to, to, to take risks because fear no longer controlled them. And all the great things that happened in the early church and all the great things that are happening anywhere in the Christian community today is because of one reason. And that reason is because Jesus is with us and we know it. That's it. So this is why God can be so caring because now they're free from the fear of being poor and, and lacking security. They, they, they know that they have infinite treasures in heaven. Their value is not determined by the money in the bank, but the fact that God has purchased them with his own blood. They know that if they have everything except for Jesus, they have nothing. And if they have nothing but Jesus, they have absolutely everything. They are free from the idol of money and possessions and are free to use that to serve God and others. That's a little different than the world, right? And this is why they can live open lives with sincere hearts and without being posers because Jesus is with us and we know it. So they're free from the fear of being exposed free from the fear of shame. They know that they, they don't need to hide. They don't need to pretend to be better than they really are. They know that the only one who ultimately counts in the universe has said that, that they are his beloved children, that God delights in them. And so they're free from the idol of approval, free to be loving and honest and, and unguarded and open. It's a little different than the world, right? And then this is why they can be joyful. Jesus is with them and they know it. They're free from the bondage of, of the highs and lows of the daily grind. They know God's salvation. It has been settled. And so they are free from the idol of circumstantial happiness. They're free to enter the real joy of God's salvation. And this is why they are growing and impacting their neighborhoods and their city. Jesus is with them, and they know it. They are so in awe of Jesus that they're free from the fear of rejection and criticism. And they know that even if their family rejects them, even if their friends reject them, God, <laughs> the creator and sustainer of the universe, will accept them and welcome them into glory. So they're free from the idol of success and significance to take risks in order to share the love and truth of the gospel of Jesus. Now, okay, so here's what I want us to get at this point, all right? I, I want us to understand that, that when we come together like this on a Sunday morning, 
or when we gather together in our home groups or crowded houses, or we get together at each other's uh, uh, homes to like share a meal or go out to lunch uh, together in, in Christian community, I don't want you to miss out on the reality of what is happening. Together in community, you are meeting with the risen Jesus. That's what's happening there. We're not just passing time together. We, there's, there, in a very real way, we are meeting with the resurrected Christ. Yeah, we come together and we learn and, and, and we pray and we encourage one another. But listen to me. That is not an end in and of itself. That is a means to an end. And the goal is to encounter the risen Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, the living Jesus. So my encouragement to you is don't settle for less. Don't go through the motions. Don't, don't treat like community as just, as just nothing more than something that, that's on your, your to-do list or something. I, you know, something that's, that, that you may or may not do, you may or may not do, but, but something crucial because together we experience the living Jesus. Without Jesus, church is just a lame hobby, right? And the worst party in town. But let me tell you something. We, with, you, we come together and we experience Jesus. Nothing is better than that. So my encouragement to you is anticipate Sundays. Anticipate gathering with your crowded houses. Pray that you will experience the living Jesus in community. Pray that with expectancy. God has promised to be with us, and God always keeps his promises. And so that leads us to the how question, right? How can we be this? How, how can Infusion Church be a crucial Christian community? How can we all be filled with awe that, that sets us free from all other fears? There's only one way. And it's by knowing that Jesus is with us. How does that happen? God tells us in his word two different ways. First and foremost, believe the gospel. Did you know I was going to say that at some point? You should. If you've been around here for any amount of time, Peter is, is preaching and he says, uh, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And with many other words, Peter warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation or this, this people. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So, what we, are, what we see here is that the Spirit of Christ is with those who believe Peter's message. And Peter is not just handing out get-out-of-hell-free cards. This is not just an individual salvation just for you and just, you know, for you. He is, he is offering the salvation of his people, a salvation that not only changes individuals, not only changes his people, but also radically changes the world, okay? That is comprehensive salvation. 
so much bigger than a you and Jesus deal, right? Peter acknowledges the reality that cancer has caused a profound dysfunctionality. And we see in our world everything falling apart, everything that we hold dear, you know, that we look to for meaning and purpose in, in life, being a dad, being a mom, being married, being successful in your job, having nice things, you know, one kind of a relationship or another, your health, whatever, it all falls apart. You can't bank on that. Peter says, there's, your minds will be blown if you get this, that there is a, a force that will reverse the cancer in human existence. There is a power that will heal the destructions of sin. There is a power that can bring together everything that's fallen apart, and that power is a person. It is God in the flesh. And he came to earth to take the cancer upon himself. And on the cross, he fell apart for us. And through his death, he stopped and reversed the cancer of sin and death. And on the third day, he broke its hold and he was alive to give us life. You know what Peter is saying? Peter is saying that this power, this power is in the world right now. Right now. And right now, <laughs> it's here. And Peter is, is offering it to you, to us, right now. This power that can bring healing is available right now. And a day is coming when Christ will return and it will finally be complete. And Peter says that you can have this power and experience this power together in community, believing his message. Now, you know what? Everybody, everybody is a different stage in life right now, including spiritually. And so maybe, you know, some of you don't believe because you still don't understand uh, the message. Some of you, maybe you just don't agree agree, or at least not yet, and you still have doubts, and I want to encourage you that we're all here for your, your questions, and we're happy to, to wrestle through that. With, we all had to do that. It's important to understand the message and that your questions and your objections get, get addressed. You know, we get that. And you know what? There are probably many more others here this morning who understand the message, who agree with the message. They, they put their trust in Christ. But you're not filled with awe. Not like this. And that happens to all of us from time to time. Let's just be honest about it. There are times when we find ourselves still in bondage to fear. There are times we still have little or no experience of Christ being with us, right? Well, that's why we are called, God's word calls us to the next, this next thing here, which is to be devoted to Jesus and his people. Because Jesus was devoted to you and his people, we can be devoted to Jesus and his people. Luke shows us in verse 42 
They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and, and prayers. Devotion, devotion to Jesus cannot be separated from devotion to his people. It says here that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And what were they teaching? They were teaching about who Jesus is, what he's done, what he's doing, and, and what he's going to do to bring all things, to reconcile all things to, to himself, right? Therefore, in light of that, because of that, they were devoted to the fellowship of community. Now, yeah, of course, we know there are times, where, you know, hopefully, you know, every day, you know, that, that we may pray by ourselves, we may read the Bible by ourselves, but in the New Testament, the emphasis is on the Christians hearing and discussing God's word and praying in community with other believers because that is how you experience Jesus. At Christmas time, we refer to Jesus as Emmanuel, right? And what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Not God with me and just me. God with us, right? American individualism says, you know what? I don't need the church. I can make it alone. Just me and Jesus. That's all I need. But that's not what you see in the New Testament. And Jesus says, when you pray, say, our Father. Right? The primary place we experience the presence of God is in community as we study the word and share with one another and partake of the sacraments together and pray together as God's people. See, being devoted, what that looks like, in our, it, it, it means to place a great value upon, to make it a, a top priority, to spend much time with. Now, my question for all of us right here, right now, I want you to think about your lives. I want you to think about uh, how things have been going, oh, recently, right? What are the obstacles in your life? And I ask myself the same question. What are the obstacles in your life when it comes to living out this kind of devotion to Jesus and his people. Maybe it's your work schedule. I get it. You know, I'm always blown away when somebody prays and asks God to give them a new work schedule, and then God answers that prayer. It's amazing. Maybe it's recreation. Maybe it's, you know, your kids in sports or whatever. Maybe it's apathy. You know, maybe, maybe it's like, you know, like in my wife's case, a physical, a physical problem, you know? It may be a, a, just a, it may be a heart issue or it may be a reality issue. God calls us to, to pray that, that we would, that he would show us ways in which we can be devoted to his people to make it a top priority. And let me tell you something, I know so many people um, who can't get out of their bed, their home, uh, to gather with their brothers and sisters in Christ who long for it. They don't take it for granted. And their hearts are broken, so we pray that God would bring healing. We pray that, that God would bring the church to them if they can't go to the church. Christ and his people can't just be one of many other priorities. If it's just one of many priorities, it just means we don't believe the gospel. It means we're posers. 
It may be that we're still viewing reality through the same values as the rest of the world. That may be why we might not look much different than the rest of the world a lot of times. And then why should the wor- anybody in the world even consider Christianity if it's no different? Maybe because we're not living as an alternative community. If we're not experiencing the presence and the power of Christ, it's, it's because of that. And how do you, how do you change that? You, by believing the gospel and devoting yourself to Jesus and his people, by getting into community, making new priorities on the use of your time and money, priorities that are consistent with God's reality, Jesus' kingdom. You know what? Jesus is calling a people together to possess. That has a powerful impact on people. And you know what? It still has a powerful impact on me. couple quick examples. There are many examples, but let me just... I'm so blessed to be serving with um, our board of elders and Brock, who's an elder in training, to watch them set the pace. Um, I'm the only... Well, I get paid. Josh Cass barely gets paid. And then the others are all volunteers. And they serve and sacrifice at great cost to themselves. It's not just some job or some committee or whatever. Matt Nix lived in Vista. He moved to Escondido to be closer to the church. Not necessarily the building, but the people. Tom Wing and his 23 children... They were driving down to Fallbrook. He participated in both services with all the, and he, they had to figure out logistics with all those kids. Made it every Sunday. They moved to Escondido to be closer to the, they're moving to Escondido to be closer to the church. Josh was living in Golden Hill. He wants to live closer to the church. Right now he's stuck in purgatory known as Vista. Can I get an amen, Josh? <laughs> Brock, he lived in Fallbrook. He moved to Escondido to be closer to the church. He had his plan, uh, this very ambitious plan for West, um, Westminster Theological Seminary, Seminary, and he changes, changes his education plan to free him up to be more involved in the church. There are people in the first service who are in their 80s who show up every single Sunday with walkers and canes and just to, to be here. I mean, there's a couple people who, they get a shot in their eyeball on a regular, like on a schedule. If I would not be at church if I got a shot in my eyeball. That kind of pain. I mean, just weird stuff. I never even thought of it. Many challenges. They get here, they arrange a ride if they need to because they want to be with their brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a woman named Leticia. She has cancer in her arm. Doctors told her to amputate it. She didn't want to because she wanted to be here. 
with her brothers and sisters and have her other arms so she could raise both arms to praise Jesus while she's worshiping. It's a new person named Lucinda, brand new. She is just serving because she is in deep appreciation for God's grace in her life. She doesn't need like a church program to love her church and love her neighbor. Shan, I mean, she went to the tea, I mean, that you all had. She really pushed herself to be with her sisters. And she got sick, and she took her three days to recover from that, but she wanted to be with her sisters. I remember when we, we moved to Oceanside, my son was, I think he was in eighth or ninth grade, and he made the best friends of his life. And he found out we were going to move away from Oceanside, and that messed him up. But he said, you know what, Dad? I'm willing to do it because of the church. You know, recently, you know, as Shannon's had a rough go for the last two and a half years now, last week, my daughter said to me, you know what? Man, the church really loves our family. (laughs) I could not be more blessed by you all to hear my daughter say that. You know, being a pastor's kid can be pretty rough. I know so many pastors whose kids don't love Jesus, don't even believe in God anymore, and hate the church. And it's common. The testimony that you are to my daughter, to my son, It just blows me. I could not be more grateful for you all. It just, it blesses me more than I even know how to to put into words. So you know what you're doing? You are evangelizing my daughter by being the church. That's how this works. It's a powerful testimony. It doesn't happen if we're just blasé. It doesn't happen if we're, if we're apathetic. It doesn't happen if we're, well, we kind of believe in this Jesus thing. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't produce that kind of testimony and that kind of faith. So thank you for being devoted to Jesus and his people. If you're disconnected, I mean, be that blessing to others. Be proactive in that. Find people to lunch, whatever. Just don't wait around and go, hmm, where's this community? I'm waiting. Join a crowded house. A, a small group, a community group. Maybe we should call them devoted groups or something. Devotion is key collective devotion to experience and know Jesus. And Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. Jesus says, I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. 
Jesus said, the Father and I will abide in you. Jesus said, the Spirit will be in you and with you. And you know what? At this church, we believe that Jesus does what he promises. So we acknowledge his presence. We welcome him into our midst. And my encouragement for the love of God, be devoted to that. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your amazing grace. God, we thank you that that you didn't we thank you that you've given us a life-changing gospel. And so we are praying on, on behalf of Infusion Church. I pray that you would continue to build our faith in you. To continue, God, please build our faith in Jesus, who he is and what he's done for us. God, I pray that you would, you would uh, draw us closer together as we draw closer to you, that, that collectively we would experience what it's like to have the Holy Spirit possess us because we are our living stones fitted together to be a dwelling place for the Spirit. God, protect our hearts against apathy. Protect us from from giving so much of our lives to insignificant things that have replaced what is truly significant. God, I, I pray that none of us would be distracted in this moment, but that we would, that your spirit within us right here, right now, would open our eyes to see you in your beauty, your power, the work you are doing in our lives and throughout the world, the work that you've done on the cross so that we could be truly devoted to you and to your people. God, I pray if there's anybody here that does not trust you yet, that you would open their heart this morning, that you would draw them and that you would give them the courage to follow you, the faith to follow you. And God, I I pray for, for those here this morning where the good news has become old news. Church is just kind of part of life. They're not really into it. Apathy is set in. God, I pray that you would wake them up. And when that happens to me, I pray that you would wake me up and that you would use your community to do that. 
May our lives reflect our devotion to you and to each other because of who Jesus is and what he's done out of just pure grace. We pray these things in Jesus' powerful name.